Welcome to the RHA podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Colin Clark, founding managing director of Beyond Business. It's wonderful to have you along today. This is a bit of an unusual podcast in that Colin and I have known each other for probably about 12 years. Colin was originally introduced to me as an executive coach and he worked with me and subsequently over the years with many members of my teams as well as me referring him to many CEOs and other senior leaders across business and other sectors throughout Australia. He would be regarded as one of the top executive coaches in Australia. And whilst there is a high degree of confidentiality around those that he has coached, he's certainly worked with many of the leading uh, corporate leaders as well as uh, people within professional services, private business and other arenas. Colin Clark and I had been looking for opportunities to take his services out to a broader audience. And about two years ago, we ran a weekend retreat called A Weekend in Good Company, which we ran a number of times where approximately 12 to 14 senior leaders would attend and over the course of the weekend get to do some very interesting, introspective work and do a deep dive in terms of where they're at personally and professionally in their careers and how the group dynamic would assist people in getting a stronger awareness about their full potential. We've most recently decided to take that into a new format, which are breakfasts that meet on a monthly basis, where you have the opportunity to join a group of your peers, and by catching up for two to three hours once a month, under the facilitation of Colin, to really work on harnessing your true potential professionally in order to drive not only your own personal success, but the success of your organisations. We're very excited about this new initiative and our two groups that we have started are really looking forward to achieving tremendous results in this arena. So the podcast today is to talk to Colin about his background, his philosophy, the methodology he uses when working with people, and I suppose it's a bit of an introduction to what we're wanting to achieve. So in listening to this podcast, if it's something that you'd like to personally participate in, or you know somebody who thinks that they may enjoy and get value out of attending one of these breakfast groups, then I'd welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about that. The groups are currently meeting in Brisbane. However, there is an intent that they will be rolled out into Sydney and Melbourne in the foreseeable future. So if you're not currently in Brisbane, feel free to also inquire and I can let you know as to when those new workshops will be commencing. Sit back now and let me introduce to you Colin Clark. Colin Clark is the founder and managing director of Beyond Business, an organisation which provides high performance and transformational corporate coaching programs, predominantly with individuals within senior executive and leadership roles. Colin is based in northern New South Wales, however he works with clients in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. His background includes training as an architect, 
as well as working for KPMG and running the management consultancy organisation Tilbury Group in Melbourne. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Colin Clark. So Colin, uh, welcome to the Arate podcast. It is uh, wonderful to be here in your home at Brunswick Heads. We've just had a nice walk around the uh, waterfront prior to sitting down for this uh, interview. And uh, I'm going to say it's a beautiful part of the world. How long have you lived here for? Thank you, Richard. Nice to be here. I've been in this area this last time for 14 years. Okay. Came up here in the late 70s on that kind of um, alternative hippie wave. Um, had a farm out in the hinterland, did all that, growing my veggies, chooks, the alternative life, and then I went back into the corporate world uh-huh. after that. Yeah. And so you, you returned back here about 14 years ago? I did, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. fantastic. Well, we'll no doubt talk a lot about your uh, uh, life leading up to this point uh, through this conversation, but perhaps just to begin with, uh, why don't you talk to us a bit about what you're currently doing professionally? Okay, professionally and for the last, uh, say, 25 years, I've been working as a one-on-one executive coach, uh, business coach, mainly for C-suite executives and business owners, senior executives. I started that in Melbourne in the early 90s, and I've been doing one-on-ones, mostly one-on-ones, quite a bit of group work, but mostly one-on-ones ever since. I estimate I've been in the room for about 30,000 hours with senior business people. Currently, that's what I'm doing. I have a few one-on-one clients, and as you know, I'm launching the series of CEO breakfasts called In Good Company, following on from the work that you and I did last year called A Weekend in Good Company, had a good take-up, good response, so we're running that now for senior corporates as a series of breakfast meetings. Okay, great. Well, we'll talk more about that. Let's talk about the one-on-one work. So uh, predominantly, as I understand it, people are generally being referred to you. Yeah, I've only ever worked by referral for the last 25 years, 30 30 years. And so typically when they're originally engaging with you, what are the kind of things that they're looking for assistance with? Um, as you know, by referral, it's a, it's a strange phenomena. Um, most people are at the point where they know they need to change something in their lives. They're not too sure what it is they need to change, but it feels a little scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assist them to traverse a, sometimes a scary kind of landscape. Okay. Mm. And largely within a professional or a personal or it could be any context? It's usually within any context, but specifically for me, it's always usually usually in business context. Right. Yeah. I'm not really a great advocate of you have two separate lives, a private life and a business life. You you have a life and what you do in that life pretty much shows itself everywhere. Mm -hmm. So what you're up to privately inevitably will show itself in business and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're working with people, how long does that normally... uh Go for Depends on the outcome they want. Um, some people might want to exit a business. Some people might want to enter a business. Some people might want to restructure a company. Some people might want to increase productivity staff. Some people may want to decrease expenses. 
etc. But usually the common thread is they want to change something that they sense needs to change, but they don't know how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, maintain the confidentiality of your clients. Yeah. It'd be fair to say that you've worked with some of the top CEOs of uh, major corporates in Australia as well That's as uh, private enterprise. That's correct. Um, all kinds of corporates, um, entrepreneurs, lawyers, doctors, judges, uh, business owners, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, chairman of the board, etc., owners. And so um, the idea now of bringing uh, CEOs and other C-suite executives together for a monthly breakfast where people are showing up each month and, and building a rapport with their collegiate uh, uh, people in the group. What was the initial motivation for moving down that pathway for yourself and what are the kind of things you're hoping to achieve? Good question. Um, I had done so many one-on-ones for so long. Um, I was starting to burn myself out. Um, and for me now, because I'm in my 60s, uh, I wanted to use my time better. So one-on-many became more preferable than one-on-one. I still do one-on-ones, obviously. But I'm enjoying much more the forum of one-on-many. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk more about the sort of format and the outcomes people could expect through attending that uh, later in the conversation. But why don't we go back and uh, sort of uh, look at what led you through your life to this point of the work that you're doing. Tell us about where you were born and mum and dad and mm, early life. Mum and dad, where it all began. I was born in Sydney in the 50s, working class family in Bankstown, um, what to say about life in the 50s seems like another lifetime away. Um, eldest of three children. As I said, I'm getting close to my mid-60s, so that might give you a sense of time frame. There's a very pivotal moment in my early life when I am going shopping with my father on, I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday morning in Bankstown, and he was loading the groceries into the back of our FJ Holden Ute, which was the family car at that time. Uh, someone drove past us in either like a, a Jag or a BMW or a Mercedes. And my father said, look at that wanker. I wonder who he ripped off. And even at that time, I must have been maybe five, six, seven, I saw... Two things in my father's eyes. One was it, that he, he hated that guy for driving that car. And the second thing I saw was that he wanted to be that guy who was driving that car. Unbeknownst to me, I developed a very subliminal belief that it's good to want success, but it's not good to get it. And so I enacted this unconscious belief all of my adult life up until about the age of 50. I'm I'm pretty sure. Um, And that's what led me to an intensive study of patterning and why people do what they do. And if everyone, uh, when asked, says they want to be healthy, wealthy and wise, how come they don't end up that way? And I dedicated my pretty much my entire adult life to understanding why people do what they do, particularly in business. 
how most people set up businesses to fail, believe it or not, and they set up jobs to prove their unconscious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so what sort of work was your dad doing at the time? At the time, he was a, a clerical person, and I think he became a kind of like a salesman for building products or something. It wasn't a very big gig. Mm-hmm. It was a very humble and humbling gig. He wanted to do well, but um, there was something about this Aussie rising above the pack mentality, the tall poppy, and I definitely got that from him, mm-hmm. that it's good to aspire to success, but if you get the success, then to use his terminology, you're a wanker. Right. And uh, I didn't want to be a wanker in my father's eyes, so I aspired to success. Um, but whenever the, the mother load was about to fall on me, the really big deal was about to come through, I would find a way to mm-hmm. sabotage, avoid, abstract from it, and uh, just miss success by the skin of my teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, at the time, you went right through your high schooling. At the time, I went through high school, won a scholarship to university, studied architecture in Sydney, qualified as an architect. And when I got a scholarship to study in Europe, I took the scholarship money and learned to meditate with it. Went to the East, India, gurus, ashrams, meditation, yoga, all of that, the right. alternative. I was clearly an enthusiastic seeker in my early 20s. Um, did a lot of so-called spiritual practice in that time, the 70s. Um, what sort of things? Meditation, yoga, diet, lifestyle, relationships, community. You know, make love, not war, give peace a chance. That was me. That was me going through the 60s and 70s. That's, that's what so it was all about. You basically completely exited a professional uh, a profession yep. for, for what... For how long? I would say that period of alternative exploration lasted about 10 years. Okay. And that was when you originally moved up here and lived on a farm? Yeah, it was. I bought a farm in the hinterland of Byron Bay. Beautiful. Fabulous life. And um, there I was watching my thousandth sunset, you know, and uh, one day it was like, enough. This is enough. No more sunsets. I need to get on with whatever it is I need to get on with. Right. I moved to Perth, became a property developer, rode on the back of Australia winning the America's Cup at the time in the late 80s. Made a bunch of money, came to Melbourne um, and then entered corporate life. And you worked for KPMG? I worked for KPMG. Yeah. Yep. And I was the general manager of a, a plastics company. I started the Tilbury Group, which was a management consultancy, and uh, yeah, you know, corporate life. And uh, the management consultancy, I think you've explained, was really the precursor to what would be known as coaching today. It was. It wasn't called that in those days. Um, It was called management consulting, helping people to run their businesses more effectively. So we would look at the finances, the people, the infrastructure, the technology, the processes, all that stuff. But my particular interest was always in, you know, what are you up to? What, what, what subconscious, unconscious beliefs are you operating on that's producing these outcomes? And I observed that most people had no idea of the programs that were actually running them. And was your own awareness about this 
uh, a direct result of the work that you were doing within the sort of the meditation type partly, environments? Yeah, partly. I think the the most I learned about business and corporate life was when I ran an ashram in Melbourne for three mm-hmm. years. And I got to observe very up close what people do around time, money, sex, energy. Um, so for people who aren't familiar, what's an ashram? An ashram is a, a community of like-minded individuals yeah. living in a community of choice, um, living physically living together in the same location, mm-hmm. living the same daily routine. Mm-hmm. Get up in the dark, meditate, do yoga, go off to work, come back, meditate, meet, have groups. And so you're doing all of this and at the same time working for KPMG. I was. And so that must have been uh, definitely the road less (laughs) travelled. There weren't too many people doing what I was doing. Um, And was your day job aware of what was happening (laughs) in your extracurricular God, no. Right. God, no. Armani by day and uh, robes by night kind of life. Okay. Um, You know, the... uh, the Walter Mitty kind of life. Uh-huh. But, I, you know, I, I was married. I was raising a family. I had a child, you know, living in Melbourne, living a regular yeah. middle-class life, working in a regular corporate job. And so this is where your... I went to one of your presentations where Bill Gates meets the Buddha. Yeah. So that, that, that's a sort of a reflection of your own life at that stage. It is. Not that I'm the Buddha or Bill Gates, but I'm sympathetic with both. Um, how do you live the most effective life in the West, particularly if you're involved in the world of enterprise, business, making money, families, kids, life, all of that stuff, health? How do you how do you really pull that off? And so, at what point did you exit Tilbury and essentially move into this space of being a one-on-one uh, solo yeah. coaching management consultant? I started to notice over the years that I I got much, much, much more effective in the room one-on-one with people. Um, And it wasn't therapy and it wasn't management consulting and it wasn't coaching. It was just being good company for someone. And when you're just like a really dear friend, when you have really good company, you feel safe enough to tell things and confess things you wouldn't normally talk about. For a lot of senior business people, they can't. Some of them cannot even tell their intimate partners. They cannot tell the board. They cannot tell their colleagues. There wasn't much of a forum to really be heard in. And I noticed that when I provided that kind of circumstance, that good company, things would be said that wouldn't normally be said. And then once it was out, they could act upon these things. They could change their action. Mm Mm-hmm. When they changed their action, their outcomes changed. Mm-hmm. So I was always measured on what outcomes were produced. Yeah. It was always about out, was outcome based. So it wasn't clearly wasn't, you know, psychology or therapy. Although it did encompass some of those things, it was about, you know, business, money, stuff. So people coming to you and saying, "I've got a particular outcome I want to achieve." Yep. And then the work that you were doing with them, you know, was working within a particular framework. Yep. Um, So why don't you talk to us a bit about that? So the framework came out of working in the room with senior business people for decades and coming to the conclusion that they were not very strong on two things. The first thing they weren't strong on was getting real about where they were really at 
like a, an honest audit about where they were really at in their life and in their business. Most people were putting on a good face, a social face, putting on a good show, but underneath of that show, in reality, a whole bunch of other stuff was going on, like bad business, bad relationships, bad marriage, bad health, poor time management, addictions, all, all kinds of hidden stuff. So they weren't really honest about where they were at or where their company was at or where their life was at. And then secondly, a lot of senior corporates did not know how to dream, did not know how to envision, imagine, make up a reality they'd prefer. Mm -hmm. So I observed that they needed some help in getting real, like what's really going on, like you'd talk to a friend, and B what they'd really love, the, what, what they're going to. And for a lot of business people, particularly today, uh, they're very, very driven. Uh, but the trick to creating the outcome you'd prefer is to be drawn as opposed to driven. Mm -hmm. And drawn is what you're going to. And I observed in people that were highly driven, they were usually driven by something. Mm -hmm. So they were getting away from something rather than going to something. And because of that, even on the outside, if it looked the same, on the inside, they were usually suffering that. It sh that suffering showed up in dysfunctional relationships, poor marriages, bad, bad relationship with the kids, health problems, psychological problems, addictions, you know, hidden addictions, substance abuse, that kind of stuff. So what is the, uh, the opposite to that in terms of this motivation of being drawn? When you're saying that from the outside you're seeing often the same kind of behaviour, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what's the resultant benefit of having an orientation being drawn towards your preferred reality? When you're drawn toward what you love, you get up in the morning because you want to. You go towards something. You're not doing it because you should. You're not doing it for the money. You're not doing it because you have to. You must. Most of the corporate people, most of the business owners I observed, would not be doing what they're doing if they didn't get paid for it. The really inspired people just did what they loved, whether they got paid for it or not. And inevitably, they got paid very handsomely for what they did because they loved it. Mm -hmm. They couldn't wait to get into it. Mm -hmm. um, whereas a lot of my clients were just exhausted from decades of flogging the machine, mm -hmm. particularly the further up they got, uh, further up the food chain they got. I imagine, you know, almost everybody has heard of this you know, motherhood statement of if you do what you love, then it's not work. But mm. I imagine also for the majority of people, they would say, well, how do I actually know what that is? Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, that's what I do. That's exactly what I do. Why would you perfect a bad golf swing? Why would you dedicate getting really good to a life you don't want to live? Um, why would you end up, you know, running a, a powerful law firm when you'd rather be running your own restaurant? Mm -hmm. um, 
a lot of the people I worked with just found themselves in life situations and they did not know how that happened. Mm-hmm. But when we debriefed it and when we went back and saw how the whole picture was constructed, it was clearly driven by an uninspected, unconscious program, similar to the one I described to you about. About yourself. About myself. Right. So yeah. people who are in this uh, orientation of being driven, yeah. running, they're running away from their pattern. Yeah. Um, so by inspecting that and becoming yeah. clear about the pattern... With it, without, it being thera- without it being therapy or yeah. counselling. Then it enables the person to actually be conscious about choosing what they would prefer. That's correct. That's correct. Right. And so the process is then having then become clear about um, living the life that you would love. That's right. It's putting the right structure and frameworks around that in order to see it realised. And you need a structure to create that. Yeah. You need to be clear about where you are. You need to be clear about what you'd love to go toward. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you do that, a strange thing happens. There's a a phenomenon called creative tension appears where you start to feel the gap between where you are and where you want to be. If you can maintain that creative tension and keep your focus on the life you'd prefer, the outcome you'd prefer, inevitably you must move toward what you'd prefer. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand this, so they, when they start to feel a glimpse of creative tension, they get uncomfortable and they'll collapse either their vision or they'll collapse their current reality. So they'll get, quote, realistic and just bear down and get hard, you know, grim and ugly, or they will collapse their current reality and they'll get idealistic and start fantasizing. Mm-hmm. Either, either does not work. To be creative, you need both. And I think that's what's unique about this orientation. You need both. Both your current reality and your preferred reality. Where you really are for real, honestly, honest to God for real, and where you'd love to be, really, really love to be. Not where you can afford, not what you think's possible. What you really love. And what you'd really love is usually connected to what you're good at, what you aspire to, what you're moving toward. And that's a life. And so typically, and I know from my own experience, having been coached by you personally and also having referred uh, many uh, senior leaders to you, uh, typically a person is in some kind of pain crisis where, you know, there's something's happened at work or in their life which is you know, force them into a position of needing to to take action and and get consideration. Mm -hmm. Um, And then somebody within their network is referring them to you. That's correct. Um, And then typically you're working with them on a one-on-one process. The idea now of taking it into this, um, uh, this monthly group of people who get together in order to essentially support each other through this process often those people who will be considering coming into that are not necessarily at crisis they're um they're at work they're performing well they're enjoying their work some maybe not but they're coming to you in a different kind of space so what do you see as some of the uh the things that are exciting to you about working with those kind of people within this group style format 
Good question. When I use the word crisis, I don't always mean negative. Yeah. It just means the, there's an, Im, an imperative to change. Uh-huh. So your life could be going along fabulous, your career could be going along fabulous, but you just get this sense that you could do better. Mm. You just get this sense that you're really great, but you could be even better. You could be really fabulous, you know. That's creative. Uh, and it's definitely not about just working harder, mm-hmm. getting faster, um, lifting heavier. There's got to be a shift in your paradigm because the world that we are entering now, this commercial world we're in now in 2017, is changing rapidly. And a lot of senior leaders now find themselves very equipped and very experienced for a world that won't exist next year. Mm-hmm. So they have to start adapting. You have to start accessing information, bands of energy, inspiration that are currently not the case. And you, you have to be a pioneer. You have to make it up. So this is coming back to your point about, you know, um, the ability to dream. That's right. So talk more about that. By dream, I don't mean fantasize. I mean putting your attention, mind form, on what you'd prefer, even visually. You close your eyes and with your mind's eye, you can locate the outcome you'd prefer for your business, for your life, for your money, for your health, for your relationships, for your kids, for your world. Mm -hmm. When you energise those mind forms with action, they come to pass, they happen. Most people don't put their attention on what they want. Mm -hmm. They unconsciously are putting their attention on what they don't want. Mm -hmm. And that's usually hidden, unconscious, subconscious patterning that they're running on. And it's commonly acknowledged that you're run by what you're running from. Mm -hmm. Hence the driven analogy we talked about before versus being drawn. But before you can be drawn, you have to see what you're being driven by, so it's, it's both. Mm-hmm. This self-understanding and this movement toward being more creative. And there's, more than ever before, there's a, an imperative in business now to be not just competitive, but creative. You, know, you just can't compete anymore, merely compete, work hard, because everyone's got the same access to the same information. And I suppose if you look at the people we perceive as the iconic leaders of industry, whether that be Richard Branson or Henry Ford or, you know, in many respects, they have held a creative vision for Absolutely. their entire organisation. Absolutely. But then it would also be true that all leaders within organisations, within their own sphere of influence and control, Correct. have to also have a creative orientation in order to get the best of success out of their own and their team's performance. And most senior leaders in business will tell you they're too busy working, right? <laughs> transactional working, to dream. They will tell you they're too busy working to create a vision. So they are being driven rather than drawn fear of failure. Correct. Rather than being drawn towards a, a true space of inspirational leadership. Yeah, and of course what you've just mentioned involves the unknown. Mm-hmm. 
it's not familiar. So you have all kinds of feelings around the unknown and the familiar mm -hmm. and the imperative to change, the, even the obligation to change. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm a CEO or a senior leader and I'm thinking, I have a potential appetite to do this work, yep. but you know, I don't have a creative bone in my body. You know, mm -hmm. I've grown, I was a CFO and you know, I count uh, the past rather than create the future. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how I would even have a seat at the table, let alone thrive in this kind of environment. What would you say to them? I would never tell you how to do your job, and but where where is your industry going to be in two, three, ten years' time? I'm almost certain it's not going to be where it is today. And if you're not driving that change, then someone else is. And if you're not creating that, then someone else is. And so you're going to be left behind if you don't sharpen up this this creative muscle. Mm. And so. Human beings universally are creating machines 24-7. We all transmit energies and we receive energies. Where even when we sleep, we dream, you know. 24-7 creators. The trick is to create what you want rather than what you don't want. Mm -hmm. And if you stopped everyone on the street today and said, what do you want... Essentially, they tell you the same thing. They want to be happy. They want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But have a look at the lives they're actually living and if they're getting those outcomes. Mm -hmm. And you and I know that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are struggling in this time, particularly senior people, because they, they can't really... There's no forum for them. Mm -hmm. um, of, there's no forum for good company mm -hmm. where they can just be heard. And what about the person who's sitting back and saying, oh, this all sounds a bit woo-woo, yep. a bit sort of, you know, Byron Bay, hippie, yep. dippy, uh, the, yep. what, are they, what was that? Uh, <laughs> uh, the book that came out a while ago, or, you know, to sort of visualise your dream life. and all that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, all, all that, that stuff. What, yeah. yeah. I've been doing this for a long, long time, and... Um, I, I get paid a lot to do this and I, I can tell you business people will not pay you to not get outcomes. Mm -hmm. they, they'll pay for the outcome, but if you don't get them the outcome, you're gone mm -hmm. um, and they will not refer you to their friends. Mm -hmm. um, the secret is the book that I was saying. Yeah? <laughs> the secret, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the people who did The Secret probably made a ton of money out of it. I, I don't know how much money was made by the people that read the book, but maybe that was the point. Yeah. So coming back to the question, uh, you've had a lot of success in working with people one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. We're now encouraging people who want to explore this work to come together in a group, yep. you know, meeting once a month for a couple of hours. Uh, you know, what, what's uh, the intent behind that and how do you see that unfolding? Okay, good. Another good question that I can bring, I can distill this over 40 odd years of being involved in this work and 25, 30 years directly one-on-one -on -one coaching with business people. I can bring this into this group forum in a much more concentrated version and I do believe that the kind of the world environment right now is ready for this kind of information. It definitely wasn't ready 20, 30 years ago. Um, the notion of energy, the notion that we live in a 
psychophysical world rather than a merely physical world, the appearance of the quantum view of life, quantum mechanics, the understanding of you know basic psychology that you become what you put attention on. Uh, all this is becoming more and more mainstream. It's not practiced much, but it's it's becoming more mainstream. And uh, any kid these days with a bit of education will tell you that you know, it's about energy now rather than matter. We're moving out of the Newtonian model of life into the quantum model of life. We're uh, a technological society moving rapidly. Uh, we seem to be reinventing ourselves every five years now. And if you're not on board with this, this understanding of energy, you yourself as a 24-7 creating machine, a transmitter of energy, if you don't know what you're producing, then you'll go through life kind of like in a victim mode rather than a creator mode. And the victim mode is characterized as like life is happening to me. I'm, I'm, I'm powerless to effect change. Once again, not necessarily putting a, a big negative spin on that, no. like crisis, but it's no. more saying as a victim... It's the things outside are controlling what's happening to me. Correct, rather than uh, symptoms of what I'm transmitting. Yeah. So when a senior leadership person, a CEO, the owner of a business, sees what's happening in that business as a symptom of what's going on, then they can do something about it, rather than it's the market, it's my customers, it's my staff. Because yeah. when you look in a mirror, you can't really argue with what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the message. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't blame the messenger. Mm-hmm. You get the message, and when you get the message, you can, you can move, you can act. When you're a victim, you think it's always happening to you, and you're, you're impotent, you can't act. And so a bunch of uh, eclectic business leaders yep. coming together... For yep. a breakfast once a month. Yep. What? What? What's? Uh, uh, this is the the construct of the conversation. Yep. But but what can these people expect to actually participate in and, and achieve from being in the room? They'll probably have confirmed their intuition about what needs to change in their own business, their own industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they wouldn't come to these things if they're not leaders. They're looking for the edge. Um, and they have an intuition, a sense, because that's why they're leaders, of what does need to change, mm-hmm. and they'll be armed with the, the, the understanding, a kind of a, a framework in which to activate those changes, mm-hmm. to either make the call on what's really going on in the business and or get clear about the vision of that business. Mm-hmm. So where they're really at and what needs to change and where they're really going to and what they'd love. And obviously the dynamic of doing it one-on-one versus doing it as part of a group is quite different. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what do you see as some of the benefits of doing it within this group context? Uh, there's safety in numbers. Uh, it doesn't take as long. Um, the one-on-one's a very, very specific way of working. Uh, there's a whole group dynamic that occurs 
when you're in the room with a bunch of people that does not occur when you're one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a remarkable phenomena. I, I can't explain it, but I've observed it for years that there's a kind of a power and a wisdom in groups that you don't get one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Mm. That, that collective, and there's a, you know, they're a very experienced bunch of men and women in the room. You know, collectively, there's like hundreds of years of experience being brought into that room. And there's not much that hasn't been experienced in that room. They all bring their sense of what they want for their life, for their business. They do have good intuition. They just need a little bit of good company to cultivate that. So the idea being that as well as your facilitation of the group, very much it's about a peer-based learning environment. Absolutely. Where people will bring into the room current challenges and Mm -hmm. other people sitting in the room who may have dealt with those challenges previously uh, will be able to support and assist each other in uh in fulfilling their own potential not yet like any human forum this Mm -hmm. is just a business forum yeah so at the time uh that we're recording this uh these uh breakfasts are just starting to kick off correct um and there's been tremendous uh interest in participation so far and so certainly for those people who are listening who are interested in learning more feel free to talk to me and i can certainly connect you with colin uh, if you'd like to pick up the conversation with him. What about coming back to yourself now? I mean, you mentioned you're 64 years old and having known you for a while, you've been able to you know, build a very nice lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are you excited about in terms of your own future? Gee, what is a future these days? I haven't a clue. I don't know how long I'm going to live for. Um, I, I've always felt called to teach and to be good company for others. Uh, I've been always endeavoured to be that Um, another challenge and for me to stand up in front of a group of you know kind of powerful CEOs and industry leaders is it's a challenge for me and I'm I'm looking forward to that Um, being able to communicate honestly and truthfully and give them a sense of where I'm really at and also what I really love and Mm -hmm. hearing the same from them so I don't at all have a sense that I'm above or below. That it's it's like a uh, you know a gathering of like minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There must be something. I know there's something in them that want they want addressed or given room to hear or to be seen or to. We've all got challenges, and I think that's what they would bring to this kind of forum. Yeah, a kind of a. An interesting growth. So they're, they're senior leadership that want to grow, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I know that one of the things that you're passionate about and love doing is uh, heading over to India from time to time mm-hmm. and immersing yourself in the culture over there. Yep. You know, what is it about that that you most enjoy? Oh, this is what I love. It's um, it's 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 more mindless. It's not very Western. It's not about getting somewhere. It's more about just. Uh, Enjoying the moment, you know, smelling the roses and all that. That's why I've chosen to live down here near Byron and uh, walk on the beach every day and kind of be mindless, really. (laughs) Well, it's been a good conversation and uh, I'm really looking forward to doing this work with you, Colin, and for those people who want to come and play in good company. Uh, And as I said earlier, uh, those that may be interested, don't hesitate to reach out 
But in the meantime, thanks for your time, Colin, and have a fantastic evening. Thank you, Richard, and I look forward to moving forward. Well, thanks again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Colin. As I said in the introduction, we are very excited about this new initiative, uh, our breakfast series for senior leaders who want to meet on a monthly basis. And I would welcome any inquiry where I can talk to you and potentially Colin can talk to you also about the group, the dynamic, your own personal situation and whether it's something that you would like to participate in. In the meantime, I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast and have a fantastic week.